and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and tonight we're going to break down all things that just happened from a lovely week eight of NFL action. We got 12 games to go over, plenty of injuries, plenty of workload notes. I plan on trying to touch on just about everything that is fantasy football actionable as possible. So I have managed to make it through all the games at this point uh, in terms of NFL Game Pass or watching them live. So just want to try to relay most important information back to you. Appreciate you listening, as always, to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Without further ado, let's get after it. So quickly want to run through some of the top injuries. First of all, probably most severe, uh, Ravens left tackle Ronnie Stanley is going to be out for the season. Uh, suffered a severe ankle injury just you know, days after he got that big money contract. Uh, can't stress enough how bad that's going to be for the rest of the Ravens offense. You know, they'll be able to move the ball still, but I mean, the, there's no no way of sugarcoating losing a player of Stanley's caliber on the offensive front. Uh, Kenny Galladay had to exit early with a hip injury, you know, took down my helicopter on the way out, had four targets for those able to get a catch up before leaving just a situation where you know we'll see what kind of happens with the practice of particip- participation throughout the week as long as he's going to be, be healthy enough to be out there we're gonna have to continue to treat him as the wide receiver one he is more weeks than not but obviously we'll prefer him to be at 100 percent uh ty holden left early with a groin injury you know i've gone on several podcasts and said you can probably already release him as it is i got some wild cold stats uh, for you guys later but it's so spread out as it is i mean if ty is going to m- miss time no point really holding him uh, for too long on the old bench uh, Rams running back Daryl Henderson missed a large chunk of the game and did not return with a thigh injury. Rams got a bye week next week, so plenty of time to rest up, but could be Cam Akers' season if uh, he's not good to go uh, come week 10. Tevin Coleman suffered a knee injury right after he got back from an IR, and he was actually getting plenty of run early on. You know, it's it, Hasty and McKinnon were still going to be involved, but without Coleman in the picture, we could actually be looking at a two-RB backfield in San Fran if he is going to miss any extended amount of time. Uh, sticking with the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo was pulled early with another one of those ankle injuries. I mean, he's not playing at 100% when they've gotten down a couple of these games. Uh, Shannon has been pretty quick to, you know, pull him instead of kind of let him get teed off on as they're trying to come back. So it's not good. He's not playing well as he's hurt, but, you know, I do think the injury is contributing to some of the poor play. And additionally, uh, George Kittle is banged up after suffering, I believe it was a foot or ankle injury. Uh, Schefter's come out and said uh, the uh, x-rays, I believe, were negative. They got more tests to do. Maybe the MRI was clear. They got more tests to do on Monday, but it sounds like it wasn't, um, you know, a super uh, big time long-term issue so you know fingers crossed for Kittle certainly one of the more fun players in the league to watch and then finally Titans slot receiver Adam Humphreys got banged up really bad calling it a head injury but certainly seems like you know he'll be in the uh, concussion protocol and if he is gonna stay uh, off the field for a week or two you know we'll have even more and more targets condensed around AJ Brown Corey Davis so make sure you tune in to uh, the Friday edition of this podcast every week I go through the key entries to watch ahead of the following week of action and we go through all the kind of guys to really focus on in terms of, you know, who you should pick up to replace them. And then also on the uh, Tuesday edition of this podcast, I go over the top waiver wire plays of the week. So we'll have more injury information there. But without further ado, let's get into some of these games because, you know, it wasn't the best day. There's a lot of, you know, Mother Nature out there kind of screwing with us with all the wind and all that. But, you know, we still did have some uh, pretty entertaining games out here, even if they, we didn't have the kind of the passing yard totals that we grew accustomed to. But first up, we had the Raiders defeat the Browns 16-6. to And again, this is one of those games where wind and rain were certainly 
definitely a factor uh, throughout. Baker Mayfield, you know, he did his best uh, to kind of move the ball. He had a touchdown to Jarvis Landry where he dropped it in, in over his shoulder, uh, and it was real pretty, but Jarvis kind of bobbled it, and they ruled he didn't actually maintain possession through the ground. So ended up with just 122 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Derek Carr was right there with him with only 112 yards, uh, one touchdown, no pick. He was able to find uh, Hunter Renfro inside a 10-yard line, but I wouldn't take too much away from either of these passing games struggling so much. I mean, realize that, okay, the Browns, the ceiling is lower without OBJ. I know people were really talking themselves into uh, this Browns offense potentially being better without Odo Beckham based on, you know, a whopping 60 minutes of action. I understand you can, you know, look at the splits of Baker in his rookie year too, but either way, the, you know, the ceiling of this Browns offense is less without OBJ. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Uh, with the Raiders though, uh, Hunter, or excuse me, Henry Ruggs was someone that, you know, we've talked about kind of opening up this unit just with this field stretching speed before. And we saw that again. I mean, there was an opportunity for, you know, a long 40 plus yard touchdown, but Derek Carr wasn't quite able to put it on and look like the wind has something to do with that. And then uh, Carr did put it on him in the back of the end zone, but Ruggs wasn't able to toe tap uh, and get both of his feet in. And it was a situation where it seemed like he had plenty of room to get it done. I mean, look, it's, it's hard playing NFL receiver. I get it. But the way some of these, you know, top talents can just always seem to get that second foot down. It was certainly a situation you would have liked to see him uh, convert. So, yeah, you know, again, not a good day from the passing offenses, but I wouldn't put too much stock uh, behind these poor performances. This was, you know, a heavily weather-induced game. Uh, with the backfield, so yeah, and the only other thing I say about the wide receivers, Jarvis Landry had 52 yards, 11 targets. Like, I understand there's a start of Higgins type. He is going to be an upside wide receiver three uh, more weeks than not, I think. But look, Jarvis Landry is number one now in Cleveland. It's not going to be Higgins. It's going to be Landry. It was always Beckham and then Landry. Last year, it was really Beckham and Landry week to week. So now you take Beckham out of that, and I just think Landry, you know, there's financial investment, and even just Baker's uh, just pass, you know, tendency to really lean on Landry in the passing game. He is going to be the number Number one guy in Cleveland for for you know the rest of this year with OBJ sidelined. Uh, looking at the backfields, another week of Kareem Hunt just dominating usage, 85% snaps, had a 14 carries, three targets. Wasn't able to you know make the most out of the smash spot. Only had a two catches for seven yards, 14 carries for 66 scoreless yards on the ground. So you know it's annoying, and I know people can kind of point to earlier games where he was putting up a lot of uh, numbers and say oh he's better with Chubb. He was just kind of getting luckier with the touchdowns, honestly, when uh, he was playing uh, with Chubb earlier in the year. A lot of games where they were kind of beaten up on a lesser opponent in the fourth quarter and Hunt was getting more runs. So he's still out there performing really just fine. It was just a situation where... Browns weren't able to, uh, you know, get up and play uh, with the lead like they wanted to. And because of that, you know, pl- have them play from behind, even if it wasn't a huge uh, deficit, we just didn't see Hunt kind of flirt with that 25-30 carry mark that we know he can do with that sort of snap rate. That was the type of game it was for Josh Jacobs, who had 31 carries, 128 uh, scoreless yards. And also Derek Carr chipped in uh, 41 yards on the ground, which was actually on just the fourth time in 101 games that he's had at least 40 rushing yards. So a uh, good game from Josh Jacobs, had several nice uh, uh, you know, just uh, cuts and kind of just showing the plays that make him, you know, one of the league's actual better ball carriers in terms of just, you know, uh, just how they are when they actually have the ball in their hand. Last year, he was the top three back and PFS elusive rating and just broken tackles. So, you know, Jacobs didn't score again. I know we've been kind of waiting for him to put together a big performance since that awesome week one. He had two touchdowns a couple weeks ago as well, but a lot of duds there, you know, for this one to be a dud and him to at least finish with 128 uh, rushing yards was great. No receptions, but I mean, we only saw Jalen Rashard get one, Devontae Booker have one. Again, it was just more of a case of this game being funky than anything. So uh, moving on to our PFF Lily stat. 
that of the matchup. Uh, for those that don't know, PFF Lily is my lovely wiener dog. And I like to give one just cool matchup stat at the end of every single one of these. So this one's is that Darren Waller, who finished this game with five catches for 28 yards, he now has 16 games with at least five receptions since the beginning of last season. The only players, not tight ends, only players with more, DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson, Tyler Boyd, Keenan Allen, and Travis Kelsey. Darren Waller is the number one pass game option with the Raiders. You know, he's a tight end spirit, but this guy is truly has the skills and production to an extent of a number one wide receiver. Next thing we're going to look at is the Bills beating the Patriots 24-21. to You know, as someone that's been standing for Cam Newton pretty hard, and also Josh Allen, this was a fun one uh, to watch. It wasn't the most entertaining game you could have hoped for between these guys. Another matchup where both quarterbacks uh, finished with passing yards total starting with a one. But, yeah, you know, a situation where Josh Allen, he threw one pick, 154 yards, on only 18 attempts. They just didn't ask much from him. I mean, this was another game that had a lot of wind uh, going on. The interception was his fault. just kind of seemed like miscommunication with Stephon Diggs. Uh, Allen threw it back in the inside when Diggs broke outside. So nothing too brutal. And Josh Allen's defense, I mean, he didn't have a fumble. It just wasn't It wasn't a game where he kind of had to try to put the team on his back. They were able to play with a lead for most of the way. Uh, and even when New England did uh, go down and start making things competitive at the end, you know, they had Devin Singletary averaging 6.1 yards per carry. Zach Moss averaging 5.8 yards per carry. So they just didn't need Josh to do a ton through the air. And because of that, they just didn't ask him to. He also chipped in 10 carries, 23 yards, found his own way into the the end zone on the ground from inside the five yard line so it wasn't a complete disaster in terms of a fancy performance, but I wouldn't be freaking out too much moving forward. I mean, even without Stefan Gilmore going up against a Belichick coach defense, far from ideal, and we continue to see Josh Allen make the, make the most out of his, you know, floor games thanks to this rushing floor. So he'll be, uh, you know, better moving on. It was good seeing John Brown back in the back in the action, but this game really just seemed like the Bills, you know, wanted to kind of get that monkey off their back when knocking off the Patriots, and they were happy to do so with that run game. And when they were going to throw it, it was just going to go to Stefan Diggs. So a uh, great game from Diggs, six catches, 92 yards on a team high nine targets nobody else on the bills had more than three tar targets uh digs you know it's, it's just he is so good and he can win at all levels of the field and he's done so much for josh allen this year so uh you know kudos to the bills for kind of knocking off the patriots it's always kind of been you know the boss at the end of the road they haven't been able to beat over these past few years when it really mattered but they did come home with this one it wasn't that i mean it, it was that close it wasn't that convincing of a win for the bills i should say because cam newton got down there at the end you know had a chance to tie the game if not win it on that last drive they had them move him but he fumbled uh, inside the 20-yard line I mean again about to force OT on on the road in a game that they were just severely outgunned you know considering not having Edelman not having Nikhil Harry the entire time I was watching, you know, Cam Newton this offense, I just couldn't stop thinking, why on earth did they trade a second round pick for Muhammad Sanu last year? Still doesn't make any sense. I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I mean, for them to do that and then not address the position any more than they did uh, this offseason, it's just like, how could you, how could you watch what happened last year with Tom Brady? Just again, it wasn't like Tom Brady was just actively missing open receivers. That's not what's happening with Cam this year either. It's just a situation where none of these receivers can consistently get separation. If they do get separation, Separation, like they're going to catch the ball and probably fall down. There's just, there's no chance for chunk plays in this offense. I mean, Cam Newton, he hit a couple of the intermediate routes. And I mean, you know, Jacoby Myers had a 16 yard catch. Bird had a 22 yard catch. But it's just a situation where we're not seeing anyone, you know, kind of help out uh, this offense in the way of yak, uh, consistent yak, which, you know, was such a staple of this offense uh, for so many years. So Cam overall, I mean, again, wasn't a spectacular game by any stretch. The fumble killed him, but 174 yards passing on 15 of 25. They 
were able to move the ball and look like a, you know, a real offense for stretches, which was, you know, a step up over the past two weeks. So I understand the Bills haven't been playing all that great. Uh, certainly not a great run defense. And the uh, Patriots took advantage of that. Damon Harris went for 102 yards in the score. Cam had another 54 yards and a rushing touchdown. So, you know, it's not going to say that Cam's back, uh, but Bill Belichick did say, you know, he's there st- still their quarterback moving forward. That's how they treated it all season. And I do expect that to continue to be the case. He gives them the best chance to win. It's just unfortunate he doesn't have, you know, a better receiver quarter really help him uh, reach what I still think is a pretty high ceiling even in the year 2020. Looking at this backfield um, for a second, so we had the Bills really split right down the middle, which is what we've seen with Singletary and Moss, both healthy uh, this year. Both of them had 14 carries, uh, Singletary one target, Moss one target. Overall, Moss had 53% of the snaps, and Singletary had 49%. Moss had both of the touchdowns. He is, you know, their goal line back when they're going to get inside the five-yard line. They have some sort of, like, stoppage for a second to switch the backs. But, I mean, look, they're not afraid of giving Singletary a rush inside the 10-yard line. And as we also saw in this game, you know, Josh Allen is obviously one of you know, the biggest quote-unquote vultures in the league. I know he's not technically a vulture, but truly, this guy now has 21 rushing touchdowns since entering the league. I mean, he's top 10 among everybody, let alone just quarterbacks. I mean, he is completely crushing it, and no one can find the end zone uh, at the position, you know, more often than him once again inside the five-yard line. So, you know, being the goal line back on the Bills, it paid off in this game, but, you know, I just wouldn't be expecting Moss to be more than, uh, you know, kind of an upside RB3 more weeks than not. It hurts Singletary, and it hurts Moss. It's not the worst thing in the world to kind of have between 12 and 15 touches a week you know we see that in other offenses like the Rams and the Ravens but you know kind of similar to the Ravens a little bit when you have a rushing quarterback and one that's not so willing to check down all that often it's just not the most fantasy friendly situation so we got the touchdowns this week but you know Moss and Singletary aren't going to really be consistent top 20 options uh, the rest of the way I'm not thinking uh with the Patriots yeah so Damian Harris had the 16 carries and he also even caught or I'm sorry, he did not uh, record a reception, but uh, he was out there uh, for only 33% of the snaps. We had James White at 44%, Rex Burkhead 48%. So it was a Damian Harris show, and James White only had four targets. So, you know, we're going to have some annoying game coming up where the, they are going to give James White, you know, these 10 catches and this high receiving usage that we do see from him time to time. But it's just going to be really tough to predict when that's going to happen, the way they're using these backs. Right now, it's like Damian Harris, when they are able to at least stay in the game somewhat, you know, he's going to be flirting with uh, 15 or more carries. But again, Cam's going to be hawking them, you know, near the goal line as he does again. You know, this guy cannot stop scoring rushing touchdowns. And also we do see Rex Burkhead, you know, chipping him with six carries as well. So it's just it's a low floor, low ceiling for everyone involved in this Patriots offense right now. You know, with Cam pitching in the 54 yards and a touchdown on the ground, we continue to see that even when things aren't going right through the air, he can give us some fancy upside just based on uh, those legs still. But, you know, everyone else in this uh, Patriots offense, you know, Damian Harris may be starting to creep uh, towards that RB2 borderline in the right matchup but I just think in general try to avoid these Patriots uh, more times than not it's unfortunate we got in that point but that is the reality we are in uh, next game we had the Dolphins defeat the Rams 28 to 17 to oh, I'm sorry I'm sorry real quick PFF Lily stat of the Bills Patriots matchup so Stefan Diggs has an NFL high 77 targets this season so uh, you know a little bit of that is just flawed because he hasn't they haven't had a bye week yet but either way his 16 game pace 155 154 targets 108 receptions 
1,390 yards and six touchdowns. His 78.3 PFF grade is even better than his 77.7 mark from 2019. And we're truly seeing not just, you know, a great version of Stephon Diggs, but arguably the best version yet. And it's wild that, you know, as great as Stephon Diggs has been at enabling Josh Allen, we got to give some credit and say maybe Josh Allen has been helping enable a new version of Stephon Diggs. He's not being used as just, you know, that pure field stretcher we saw in 2019. He's doing everything all over the field. Red zone, underneath, intermediate. He can still go deep as well, but we're truly seeing Stephon Diggs unleashed as the alpha number one wide receiver that we always knew he could be, but not until 2020 have we seen him truly be that guy week in and week out. And it's been fantastic to see. Uh, get ready for many more Stephon Diggs explosions in 2020 and beyond. Next matchup now, Dolphins beat the Rams 28-17. to So, Tua time. Uh, look, I, I think it's a great story that Tua got out there and everything. But, you know, this is a fantasy football podcast. We are concerned with production and, uh, you know, what guys can kind of do out there on the stat sheet. So, with that said, I mean, look, Tua and his passing game were awful in this game. And it, w- it really wasn't good for a second. It was good for a second when Tua hit Devontae Parker on a three-yard slant for a touchdown. And, you know, Parker somehow held, held on this ball because he got laid out right before he even, uh, you know, know was able to come down with the thing so uh, credit to them for hooking up on that but otherwise it was just rough sledding I mean Tua went 12 for 22 93 yards one touchdown no picks and he only took one sack so you know there were it could have been worse but then at the same time this was you know the single this was the second worst game from a rookie uh, MPFF passing grade this season only behind Joe Burrow's train wreck against the Ravens so you know zero big time throws no turnovers and only only one sack but just 5.1 yard average target depth from uh Tua in this game so you know we didn't get any rushing upside it's just gonna be a situation where in fantasy tough to trust not only Tua but t- tough to trust you know Devontae Parker Preston Williams Mike Jasicki all these guys I understand it was the Rams and this Rams defense is great and Aaron Donald was you know wreaking havoc on the inside but uh, we got to see more we got to see more uh, from these guys because right now it's looking like this team really just wants to try to win a win with defense and the rushing attack I guess because uh, you know for Brian Flores to kind of make the switch from Fitzpatrick to Tua I know a lot of people were kind of assuming that, okay, because Fitzpatrick was playing well, they must be making the switch because they think Tua gives them a better chance to win. And, you know, maybe, but also maybe they, you know, just circled this game after their bye from the beginning and said, you know, halfway through the year would be a good time to get Tua going. So, uh, you know, we'll see. He's going to have better games here moving on. Again, the Rams have been an awesome defense this year. And, you know, there's an awesome article on PFF.com from Seth Galina just noting about kind of different things they've done schematically to make life so tough on opponents. I mean, Look, I was all over the Rams minus three and a half uh, in this game just for the fact that we did expect Tua to struggle. So I'm not writing this guy off just because of one bad game. But uh, it's just hard to, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to call it good. You know, I heard Tony Tungy uh, say before the Sunday night game that, you know, Tua didn't need to play well. And he just, you know, wrote out his defense and, you know, was poised and didn't do too much. And it was, but it's like, come on. The guy threw for 93 yards. He averaged 4.2 yards per attempt. You just can't say anything good about that. So better games ahead for Tua. A win is a win is a win. But this was a pretty uh, pitiful performance on offense. I mean, just look at their look at their scores. And it's not a situation where he really ever did uh, anything to lead them down the field. Their first touch down covered only 33 yards and then they scored on a fumble recovery for a touchdown and they scored on a punt return touchdown and then their last touchdown drive went a whopping oh what was it one yard because they got another fumble from Goff inside his own 10 yard line so (laughs) you know 33 yard touchdown drive that was the best thing we had from Tua moving on to the Rams 61 pass attempts from Jared Goff after you know we've been talking about we're lucky to break 30 more weeks than not so uh, pretty much just a god awful game from Goff throughout two picks two sacks lost two fumbles he just wasn't taking care of the ball I mean this guy's 
internal clock on you know some of these plays was just brutal you know you see the pass rush coming from a mile away everyone seemingly sees it except for Jared Goff and then we get you know get that empty hand type fumble situation seemingly again and again so uh, missed some throws you know had a chance to get Cooper Cup a touchdown and just yeah, missed them it could have been a better ball uh, would have had it so yeah not good we did see you know Cup have 21 freaking targets caught 11 of them for 110 yards and he also enabled Robert Woods uh, seven catches 85 yards and a touchdown so hey if they're willing to start throwing like it's 2019 2018 again that's great news for Cooper Cup and Robert Woods fantasy managers you know it's not been a situation with them this year where it's been a lack of talent on their end or that they're regressing in efficiency or anything like that they look like the same players they've always been I mean, even with Woods you know getting two carries nine yards and a rushing score on this one too like we know these guys can put up uh, great numbers when given the opportunity the only issue this year has been you know we just haven't had enough of that opportunity on a week-to-week basis but maybe we see them you know particularly now with Daryl Henderson banged up with a thigh open things up a little bit more in reality i think this is more just an example of positive game script so i'm still gonna be ranking cooper cup robert woods as more you know wide receiver twos than wide receiver ones but you know it is good to see that this type of performance is still in golf's range of outcomes even if it's not going to be occurring you know as often as it did in years past uh looking at these backfields so for the rams again henderson got banged up uh you know and left the game i, b- I believe he left the game around halftime he wasn't out there much in the second half at all so overall Malcolm Brown led the way at 59% of snaps 10 carries two targets Kim Akers did play 22% snaps though nine carries one target so if Henderson is out moving forward I do think Brown's going to lead the way in snaps and targets I don't know if they trust Akers and pass protection and that kind of stuff right now but Akers is going to be you know flirting with uh, 10 to 15 uh, opportunities per week so that's going to be viable and he did look good out there I mean he had this one play caught a little pass in the flat and made no fewer than three guys guys miss uh, before he got down the ground about 15 yards later so he's flashed in his time it's just a matter of opportunity he's not going to have overwhelming uh, opportunity but as we talked about with you know Daryl Henderson the reason why we were willing to treat him as an RB2 in the spot and it was looking good up until we got hurt uh, is just the reality that you know this has been a two RB backfield with Henderson and Brown over the past few weeks when it gets to three that's when we got problems but we can live with two and so if it's going to be Brown Nakers both these guys could feasibly be upside RB3s, you know, if not flirting with that top 24 spot. And I got to stop saying flirting. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm not. I got I to gotta man up, be more of a football guy and remove it. So I'll start uh, maybe donating a quarter every time we're uttering that just, just despicable girly word. Sorry. Anyway, moving on here to the uh, Dolphins backfield. Miles Gaskin completely dominating snaps, 88%, 18 uh, rushes, and six targets. Matt Breida, 17% snaps, four rushes. Look, this is great. Miles Gaskin has the Dolphins early down, pass down, and goal line roll. They are not using Jordan Howard. Uh, they are not using Patrick Laird. This is a one RB backfield, truthfully. You know, Gaskin was able to pound in a rushing touchdown from the goal line. So we didn't see the same sort of targets that we got before. But, you know, at the same time, we did get six targets here, and that was a team high so Tua clearly isn't afraid uh, to be you know feeding his running back still it's gonna be a situation where you know Fitzpatrick isn't gonna be thrown quite as much but if we can still have Gaskin you know around that three to five reception mark per week that's gonna be huge because he's at he's at you know risk to get 15 to 20 carries you know with those targets we're talking a legit RB1 workload he's kind of like the James Robinson that hasn't quite blown all the way up yet and the reason he hasn't blown all the way up yet is because he wasn't getting those touchdowns uh, from Jordan Howard early in the year so you know truly we're treating Miles Gaskin as a top 15 option more weeks than not here moving forward 
Next game on the docket, we got the Steelers and the Ravens. Unfortunately, we this one wasted away at one o'clock instead of moving it to the flex. But alas, you know, we we will we will move on and uh, get bigger and better things like uh, Tampa Bay and the Giants on Monday Night Football. Oh my gosh, absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, yeah, Steelers twenty eight, Ravens twenty four. So. Everyone's going to talk about Lamar not getting the job done. They had two drives over there, able to kind of get inside the Steelers' 20 uh, late in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, first one, Lamar got stuffed on a fourth a fourth down trying to run the ball. And the second one, it was just not enough time left. I had to try to force it in the end zone. It was incomplete. So, look, Lamar wasn't perfect. He had two awful interceptions. One was a pick six, and one he just floated out left and just get, didn't get enough on it. So he missed some plays. But, you know, also 65 rushing yards, had a dynamic 25-yard scramble for a rushing score called back and kind of an iffy hold so uh you know had two picks four sacks it wasn't a great game by any stretch of the imagination but I just want people to keep in mind that like we can't hate on Lamar's passing and just disregard his rushing because you look at Ben Roethlisberger who averaged uh, almost a full two fewer yards per attempt also took two sacks he didn't have the turnovers he did a good job controlling the game but you know I just think it's unfair to kind of throw Lamar under the bus potentially as a passer and you know just okay Ben was a little bit better but the fact Lamar was so much more dynamic on the ground and gave you that you know just entirely different dimension uh, it's, it's unfair when we kind of compare Lamar to these other quarterbacks in the league purely from a passer standpoint you know we need to keep in mind just how special the rushing ability is to truly appreciate him as a player and what he brings to the table because Ben you know hey a win is a win is a win we talked about this all year he's being more of a game manager and that is producing uh you know wins for the team so there's no reason why he should be changing this but you know 32 attempts 182 yards two touchdowns just 5.7 yards per attempt these are not anything close you know kind of big numbers we grew used to seeing uh from Ben over the years continues to have you know this this low average target and because of that, we're seeing, you know, really his receivers, other than Chase Claypool, who found the end zone again, but he only had 42 yards. It's just, you know, a troubling kind of lack of upside. Juju, seven catches, 67 yards, eight targets. And then we had freaking Deontay Johnson, only one catch for six yards. James Washington, goose egg. And like I said before, Claypool, uh, just 42 yards. Ebron found the end zone, had 48 yards, but situation where we just can't treat anyone probably as a top 24 option uh, consistently in this passing game at the wide receiver position because it's crowded like James Washington isn't going anywhere even though we know we're somewhat condensed with Claypool Juju and Deontay like this used to be an offense that could kind of enable three uh, fantasy relevant wide receivers but not anymore and it's a situation where you know ranking any of these guys inside the top 25 is going to be tough I think they're going to be hovering around 30 more weeks than not and to see Deontay Johnson who was briefly out with the hamstring injury but came back in and ended up playing uh, most of the game to see him not you know kind of get that l- a heavy dose of underneath targets that we saw in past weeks maybe it was just you know an aspect of playing this Ravens defense and they were taking that away but you know nothing is clear here it seemed like you know when Deontay was healthy he was gonna be the number one guy but that was far from the case this week we saw Claypool and Juju be the lead guys this week so it's an offense that's gonna be putting up points and you know I, I get that but behind James Conner uh, it's gonna be tough to really treat anyone as you know a, a RB1 RB2 you know, as a you know, a corresponding wide receiver one, wide receiver two. No top twenty-four options other than James Conner in this offense. Maybe Eric Ebron can settle in as more of an upside tight end too, but just not looking good with this, you know 
not only lack of overall pass game volume, but the stuff they're getting is so short and not downfield. It's just not the most fantasy friendly uh, situation in the world uh, with these backfields. So Mark Ingram was out and good news, everyone. Justice Hill was only on the field for 3% of the offensive snaps. He had no carries, no targets. And that's huge because we thought this might be a situation where we see them continue to use three backs. No, they went down to two because of that J.K. Dobbins had 15 carries on a team high 65% snap uh, rate, two targets. Uh, Gus Edwards still had plenty of work, 16 carries, but just 33% snaps. He did miss a little bit of time with a knee injury before coming back in. Like he's 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 not going anywhere, everyone. It's going to continue, continue to be Dobbins and Edwards. But I mean, look, this is a run first offense. Because of that, both these guys cleared 15 touches. Before this game, only Gus Edwards in week six, and he had, I think, 14 touches in that game. That was the first time all year that anyone cleared even 12 touches in the game. And in this one, both Dobbins and Edwards cleared that easily. So great news for them moving forward. And if Edwards could be banged up, I mean, Dobbins, wow, we'd be talking about a legit, you know, RB1 potentially if uh, for some reason Edwards misses time. I don't think that's even a possibility uh, right now, but it does sound like Ingram, uh, you know, could be looking at missing another week and maybe it's going to be active, could be banged up. So Dobbins, you know, he's looked like their best running back all season long. Right now, he is tied with Nick Chubb at 4.2 yards after contact per attempt. That's the highest mark in the league. Look, nothing against Gus Edwards. He was running well out there, and he's been playing good all year, but I just think Dobbins kind of gives them a different dimension. They drafted him because they thought they needed help at the position. He's clearly providing that when they give him an opportunity. Let's keep at it. Uh, with the Steelers, a uh, little bit of a slip in usage for James Conner. He played 60% of the offensive snaps. Had Jalen Samuel there at 16, but Conner, you know, still had the 15 uh, rush attempts and still had the three targets. So he's not losing... He's not losing out any major carries or targets, and it was, you know, good to see uh, just very, very little from Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane as well, but just not a situation where they're looking to actively give him, you know, these 20-plus uh, carries uh, with, you know, 5-8 targets per week. It's still a big role, but more weeks than not, the role's looking like kind of Kenyon Drake, David Johnson-esque, as opposed, you know, to just those massive league-high workloads we're used to Steelers running backs getting. So, hey, you know, Connor found the end zone again. As long as he is active and the wheels stay on the wagon, he's going to be a guy we can, you know, fire up around that RB1 border uh borderline RB1 zone. Uh, I, I do just question, though, you know, if he truly has that top five, top six uh, still in his range of outcomes. We haven't seen it uh, too much this season. PFF Lily matchup stat. Uh, so Lamar Jackson rushing in seven games this year has 66 carries, 411 yards, and two scores. So that, you know, 16-game pace extrapolated. It was 151 carries, 939 yards, and five touchdowns. Look, Lamar owns the number one record for most rush attempts by a QB in a year in 2019 with 176. And he owns the number two mark ever in 2018 with 147. So even though Lamar is not putting up, you know, the same stupid rushing numbers we saw last year, just realize he's still on pace for the second most rush attempts ever by a QB. So, you know, just I got a lot of you know, Lamar Jackson start sick questions uh, this week. And I, I know he didn't exactly uh, cash in in a major way, but 208 yards passing, two touchdowns and another 65 yards rushing. And again, having that uh, like 20 plus yard rushing score uh, wiped off the board, obviously changed things as well. So. Look, I know Lamar hasn't been the overall QB1. You know, if you draft him in the third round or whatever, it probably starts to get him. I realize it's disappointing, but make no mistake about it. This is still anyone's idea of a weekly QB1, even if he's not taking over the league in the same manner that we saw in 2019. 
Next matchup, we got the Bengals uh, beating the Titans 31-20. to This was a fun one. Big game from uh, Joe Burrow and company and my guy, Auden Tate. Training camp MVP, Auden Tate. But, uh, you know, okay, I'll give a little more of the credit to Joey Burrow uh, for pulling this one off. He just seemed a lot more comfortable, and we've kind of seen this come uh, to fruition over the past few weeks, I think since that Ravens game uh, in particular. So early on in the year, it seemed like a lot of the problems that Joe Burrow has had was, you know, similar to Baker Mayfield a little bit, where you just see them uh, try to escape outside the pocket and do things athletically that they were able to do in college and you see it catch up to him a little bit more now burrow has made plays you know just off script and making things got he had a, a wild play in this game where he scrambled for like five or six yards and he made like no less than three guys miss in the pocket so he's he's athletic enough to get away from guys i'm not trying to say that but you know lsu he could really make some craziness happen i mean some of those plays he had against georgia and the sec championship like that was just wild so it took him a little bit to get acclimated to the nfl and what he could get away with and I just think now he has a much better feel for it we see him still taking chances but it's more controlled they're less frequent and you know we just see him way more willing to kind of take take in that first second read in the play and throw it into a spot where his guys can go get it I mean he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world I think we realize that but you know he knows he's got guys on the outside Tyler Boyd T Higgins AJ Green Auden Tate and he's so comfortable with his ball placement to put it out there on him uh, that I think we're seeing him just mesh much better as he continues to grow in this offense so you know easy enough touchdowns for him one to Giovanni Bernard, one to Tyler Boyd, both you know, just kind of on short out routes to the right, just from inside the 10 yard line. But, you know, again, it's a situation where Burrow, he just always seems to know where to go with the ball. And even if his arm strength, you know, isn't Justin Herbert esque or whatever, uh, he's you know, accurate enough to put it on the money pretty much every time. So, good combo that I'm sure, you know, as the Bengals continue to kind of uplift the personnel around him, we'll just see that, you know, continue to rise Burrow even further. So, great game there mentioned Auden Tate truly I mean this guy had the best uh, you know awesome catch at the end to kind of ice the game and get the final first down uh, caught all seven of his targets for 65 yards AJ Green just caught two of five targets for 19 yards I just I mean look AJ Green's not separating from anyone at this point in his career and that's kind of the main knock on Auden Tate at least Tate's you know still going up there and making some plays after the catch a little bit too and dragging some guys so he's just one of those guys you know along with John Ross where it'd be very nice to see them get a chance elsewhere uh, if their own team is going to give them more consistent opportunities I do want wonder if the sudden uh, kind of increase in Auden Tate playing time was, you know, kind of a move uh, for them to maybe trade him because last year uh, uh, with Tyler Eifert, they actually uh, played him on a season high percentage snaps against the Patriots, uh, you know, I think in an effort to try to show, uh, you know, what he could still do uh, in this mode. So after that, uh, you know, Tyler Eifert did not play anywhere near the same amount of snaps he did moving forward. So don't freak out about Auden Tate and like pick him up as a waiver wire option as much as I do admire uh, the way he plays football. But I I do think maybe this was, you know, a sneaky just kind of like we want to show the league what Auden Tate might have in the tank as a trade asset because, you know, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, those are the main guys that we can expect to produce. Uh, Boyd had six catches, 67 yards, and a score. T. Higgins, six catches for 78 yards on a team high, nine targets. A.J. Green, we've seen over the past few weeks, like he's going to have situations when Burrow is dropping back 50 plus times and he's, he'll flirt with uh, eight, 10, damn it. He'll flirt with eight or 10 uh, targets himself, uh, but it's a situation where Higgins and Boyd have some so much more efficient uh, we should expect them to uh, just have the bigger games and go ahead and put up uh, bigger numbers more consistently it's not impossible for AJ Green to uh, you know continue to have some okay games when Burrow is going to really push the pass attempts up there but more weeks than not just trust uh, Boyd particularly as a top 20 option at the position and Higgins more and more is starting to approach that you know weekly wide receiver to borderline 
Other side of the ball, Ryan Tannehill, 233, 233 yards, two touchdowns, uh, interception, trying to force it to A.J. Brown in the end zone. A game where, you know, the, the Titans were kind of losing pretty badly uh, in the fourth quarter, so they had to kind of come back. And Tannehill did uh, give them a brief chance uh, to kind of get back in the game, but Burrow ultimately made some big plays uh, and put it out of reach. But uh, Corey Davis... Pretty much second most productive uh, regular season game of his career. He caught 8 of 10 targets for 128 yards and a touchdown. A.J. Brown also found the end zone. A.J.B. wide receiver one season continues. Uh, not quite the performance we were, you know, expecting uh, going into it. Just four catches, 24 yards, and a score. But was good to see him, you know, continue to show off that yak ability. The touchdown was on a nice little pivot route inside a 10-yard line. Broke two tackles on his way to the end zone. You know, kudos to Corey Davis for playing well. You know, I think it was more than anything, though. Him getting like a little bit of separation, Tannehill just putting the ball exactly where it needs to be. But you know what? That's a reality of what Corey Davis is in this offense now. He's playing with a great quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. And because the Titans, you know, are a faster paced team, because they're, you know, willing to throw the ball a little bit more than we saw last year, we're seeing, you know, not more than one guy, more than one guy, meaning AJ Brown. And also Corey Davis actually emerged as viable fantasy players. So, no, I don't think Davis is, you know, threatened to be this top 12 weekly option like AJ Brown. I think they, they more weeks than not, probably. Prioritize AJB as their number one guy. But, you know, we've now seen both these guys play five games, and, you know, I don't want to give away the PFF Lily stat, but, you know, Davis has warranted uh, kind of upside wide receiver three treatment more weeks than not here moving forward uh, with these backfields. Disappointing snap counts from uh, Derrick Henry. I mean, he's never been a guy that consistently, you know, smashes with that 80% plus, but he only ended up playing uh, 53% of the Titans snaps. Had Jeremy McNichols play 35%. And Deontay Foreman, uh, shout out from the past, played uh, 10% snaps, five carries, 37 yards for Deontay. Uh, Derrick Henry, I mean, 18 carries, 112 yards and a touchdown. He was doing his thing, just didn't have a ton of opportunities uh, to do so that we're used to. I mean, that's, a, that's what happens when you get behind by this much, but it's also, you know, a reality that I understand Derrick Henry's more likely to have his, you know, 250 plus yards, three touchdown blow up games uh, when the Titans can get up and play with the lead. But, you know, I- I'm tired of people calling Derrick Henry this game script dependent back. Look, this was a brutal game script for him. He still had 18 rushes. I mean, it's a situation where they never really leave games with it, with, with Henry getting fewer than 15, uh, t- fewer, fewer than 15 carries. You only have one target in this one. That was a little bit disappointing, but we kind of see that fluctuate from week to week. They have done a better job trying to get him at least a screen or two. So, you know, make no mistake about Derrick Henry continues to be a weekly top five running back regardless of the matchup uh, with the Bengals. So they kind of end up doing this week what I thought they were going to do last week more so because Giovanni Bernard was still the lead guy and everything, but he played 65% of the offensive snaps, had 15 carries, four targets. Samaje P. Ryan played 32%, uh, 10 carries, and one target. Samaje ended up stealing a goal line touchdown, but Gio caught one and ran one in. Played well enough. Nothing was that explosive. I mean, his long run was 12 and his long reception was just 10. But, you know, when they're feeding the guy 18 catches, it's hard to be disappointed by that, uh, regardless of, you know, who it's going to. So, Gio, you know, as long as Mixon's going to remain out, he's going to remain, you know, a top 12 option at the position because he has a top 12 workload at the position right now. And that is honestly all, all we are trying to chase in fantasy football land. So, continue to fire up Gio with confidence as long as Mixon remains sidelined. And once Mixon's back, we're back to the well, uh, treating him as a weekly RB1 as well.
uh, PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So this season, in five games each, everyone. Because remember, A.J. Brown missed time with the knee thing, and then Corey Davis landed on the COVID list for a bit. So five games each. Corey Davis has 38 targets. A.J. Brown has 36 targets. Now, Corey Davis with his targets, 29 catches, 369 yards, three scores. A.J. Brown, 27 catches, 354 yards, and five scores. So, you know, more touchdowns for A.J., but pretty similar yardage. And, uh, you know, to only have a two-catch uh, difference on a, you know, relative two-target difference uh, tells you a lot about what Corey Davis has done this year. Look, this, I, I come to you guys every single week and scream to the heavens about, you know, my love for A.J. Brown and what he can do uh, out there as a fan football wide receiver one but the fact that Corey Davis has consistently uh, been putting up, you know, really solid numbers all, all the way even going back to week one, uh, I think it is time, you know, in this kind of new look Titans passing game that is looking uh, much stronger and just more of voluminous than what we saw from past years, particularly last year. Uh, I do think it's, you know, a time to give Corey Davis, you know, kind of weekly upside top 30 treatment at the position if we haven't already. Uh, next matchup, we had the Chiefs blow out the Jets 35 to nine. They managed to cover that ridiculous three touchdown spread. So, kudos to them and you know not kudos to Adam Gase because you know every single Jets game we have to watch uh, is you know precious time that we will never get back in our lives and the only thing that the Jets can really do these days is enable a fantasy friendly slot receiver and we've mentioned this with Jameson Crowder and I thought maybe just maybe you know having a second round rookie like Denzel Mims who led the team in targets last week and looked good and he had a long catch in this game 27 yards where you can kind of see why people are excited about the guy I thought maybe you know just having Mims there and Darnold and just team you know your own seven maybe maybe try to get the rookie more involved than normal nope uh denzel mems caught his two or three targets for 42 yards but braxton barrios was the feature component of the offense 11 targets eight catches 34 yards no scores just brutal jeff smith should have had a touchdown on one potential uh you know somewhat long gainer but donald overthrew him you know the running back room was a mess Again, more times than not, if you cannot play a Jets player in fantasy, that's advised. And if your job is not, you know, to just watch football and know everything you can about it, like me, I would also advise, you know, passing on this game more weeks than not, unless, you know, you catch a few clips on the old red zone. Uh, with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, though, much better things to talk about. Mahomes just shredded this entire game, uh, 31 for 42, 416 yards, and five scores. So remember a couple of weeks ago when the Chiefs were playing the Bills and Clyde Edwards-Elair went crazy on the ground. It seemed like, you know, there was no way uh, the Bills could stop the run game and Mahomes didn't have to do much he did make the most of you know the constant just back breaking third down conversions like he does to everyone ended up being a game that was kind of closer than we thought in the fourth quarter and they pulled away Anyway, in that game, everyone criticized the Bills for kind of the way they were playing run defense and almost playing pass first. Well, they were doing that to try to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And then they, now this week, now we fast forwarded this week, the Chiefs play the Jets. The Jets are just, you know, known for these over the past two years. They just want to have like the best run defense in the league because it's just this old, age old, you know, football guy type ideology. Want to stop the run first. And congratulations, you know, Chiefs only had 20 carries for 50 yards on the ground. But now you got Patrick Mahomes in three quarters. In three quarters, they forced Patrick Mahomes to drop back 42 times, and they just got absolutely shredded because of it. So, like, to actually play into your opponent's strengths in that, you know, sort of a ma manner. Like, the Chiefs, look, they, they run the ball against light boxes. They run the ball if it's there. Le'Veon Bell had six carries for seven yards, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had six carries for 21 yards. There just was never a time to run the ball because the Jets were daring Patrick Mahomes and company to pass. Why on earth would you dare Patrick Mahomes and company to pass? Look what happens when that happens happens and it was just 
it's just frustrating to see. And, you know, I, I, I didn't pretend that the Jets had a shot in this game, but just to kind of see that be the strategy coming in. And, you know, Travis Kelsey, eight catches, 109 yards and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill, four catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Miko Hardman, seven catches, 96 yards and a touchdown. Demarcus Robinson, four catches, 63 yards and a touchdown. It was everybody on the Chiefs. It wasn't like that, you know, they just focused on one dude. They could not do a single thing in the secondary the entire game. And it was truly uh, pretty pathetic to see. So, you know, credit the Chiefs guys are making these plays. Tyreek Hill had two awesome downfield catches and only six targets. Travis Kelsey, it seems like every time he's, you know, just out there, he's just racking up big chunks and uh, chunk gains. You know, his yards after the catch ability continues to look great even as he ages. And Miko Harbin went out there in nine targets. We actually saw him, uh, you know, get used. His touchdown was, you know, that, you know, quote unquote reception where they, it was just more or less a pop pass uh, six inches out of Mahomes' hand. And Kelsey's touchdown was a nice little underhand uh, from Mahomes. But, you know, whatever. We don't care what weird arm angle Mahomes used. Uh, for some of these touchdowns, they all count the same in fantasy land. So, uh, you know, moving forward, it's always going to be tough, you know, to get past Tyreek and Kelsey most weeks and get these, you know, consistent fantasy guys. We've seen that over the past few years with Sammy, Miko, and Demarcus Robinson alike. But, it just reminds you why it's good to keep these guys on the bench when you do need a spare starter. You know, it's tough to find someone better than a guy on the Chiefs, you know, playing alongside Mahomes. Because, you know, even if you're only getting five targets like Demarcus Robinson this week, uh, tough to think of a better place you want to get those five targets then inside of this offense. So, again, mentioned that Mahomes and company, they were out of there after the first three quarters. So, uh, keep that in mind with these snap counts. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire still commanded the lead with 50% snaps. Le'Veon Bell was at 26%. They were the same usage, though. And this was, you know, really two weeks in a row now that we've seen this. Uh, both Clyde and Le'Veon had six carries, and they each had three targets. So, Clyde looked a little bit better, but Le'Veon actually made uh, more out of his uh, receiving uh, opportunities. So, I think we're going to see them, you know, kind of be this RB1, uh, RB1, RB1. RB1A, RB1B uh, type situation here moving forward. And if that's going to be the case more times than not in this offense, I think we're going to see both these guys, uh, you know, have the potential to be top 20 RBs on a weekly basis. So, uh, you know, I get it. Clyde, uh, you know, ha has looked really good some weeks and then not so much rest time. And Le'Veon certainly, you know, didn't look uh, come in, in a revenge game that we expected a lot more out of Le'Veon. It was a disappointing performance uh, for sure. But again, can't stress enough just how much it seemed like the Jets were just loading up trying to stop this run. And, you know, the Chiefs, are going to have weeks in the future where I think they're going to get back to run the ball more so than we saw this game. So, you know, don't be freaking out with Clyde or Le'Veon. You know, if someone wants to kind of sell low on them, I wouldn't be against scooping them up. We're not going to see, you know, true top five ceilings out of them. I get that. But I really do think these guys are going to be uh, weekly, you know, borderline RB1, mid-range RB2s more weeks than not here moving forward. Other side of the ball with the Jets. Uh, only I know a lot of people are getting behind, uh, getting behind Michael Pirine. His snaps were moving in the right direction last week. Nope. Even a game that the Chiefs, uh, you know, were pretty much dominating throughout. I mean, they had a 14-3 lead in the first quarter uh, for crying out loud. Even with that sort of game script, uh, Frank Gore played 39% snaps, 10 carries, and then Pirine uh, was left with 48%, eight carries, and just two targets. So he's the pass down back, but they're not making any effort to throw to him. Uh, so instead of you know we're looking at 15 plus touches per week, we're kind of looking more around that 10 mark so Pirine again and it says last week his best case scenario is kind of being just inside the top 30 backs uh, he's not someone that you're really ever going to feel good about firing up at any point this season 
got the Colts and the Lions next. Colts beat down the Lions in this one, 41-221. Uh, over hit in style. Was happy to see that. And, you know, another three touchdowns for Phillip Rivers. Uh, he's been putting up numbers this year. It's not always the most impressive in terms of you know just arm velocity and you know, his uh, deep balls especially when they're outdoors do still seem to be fluttering through the air a little bit more than ever but you know it is with rivers and with brady and these you know even roethlisberger where just having that guy back there that has been playing quarterback for you know 15 plus years now at a high level in the nfl and like they just know what's happening on defense and who to get how to get these easy chunk plays and how to get the ball quickly to the playmakers in space and that's what we saw in like all three of these touchdowns two of them naeem hines one from the jack doyle naeem hines his first one he just took a little swing pass broke a couple tackles got in the end zone the second one i believe was more of a wheel uh situation where he got behind the guy but on both of them he had two of the better touchdown uh celebrations you'll ever see just sticking some sort of crazy uh gymnastics you know putting he jump spun did like a freaking twirl it's hard to describe i cannot i can't even think about like describing how to do it let alone you know imagine another human being actually pulling it off so credit to naeem hines uh you know apparently the most athletic guy in the nfl who knew uh but yeah situation where he he had a great game Trey Burton had another freaking vulture touchdown from the two-yard line. I've removed Taysom Hill's name as the top, you know, uh, most wanted vulture in fantasy football. That honor now goes to Trey Burton. It's not just that he's getting touchdowns inside a 10-yard line. It's the fact that they're going to this wildcat formation with Trey Burton when they have, you know, when they used a second-round pick on Jonathan Taylor, who just, you know, could not stop racking up rushing yards his entire career at Wisconsin. Now, all of a sudden, the whispers about Jonathan Taylor being, you know, the next Wisconsin bust are louder than ever. You know, 11 carries, 22 yards in this one. Jordan Wilkins, 20 carries, 89 yards, and a touchdown. Look, they're still treating Taylor as a starting running back. It's not like that's, you know, when they were up a bunch in the fourth quarter, it was Jordan Wilkins just running out the clock. They continue to not give Taylor the ball, you know, in these just situations where they're up multiple scores at the end. Like, I don't think his starting job is going anywhere, but at the same time, uh, Wilkins is playing well. And even if Taylor, you know, I believe he still does have a higher uh, season-long yards per carry than Wilkins. We are seeing the advanced metrics, you know, really all go towards Wilkins. Wilkins has forced more missed tackles per carry than any other running back in the league this season. He is truly playing some good football right now. And, you know, with Taylor, it's just a situation where, you know, I've been calling him my favorite, uh, you know, buy low, buy even candidate. And I do think he'll have better days ahead of him. But it's just frustrating because, you know, this this is the game where we wanted from Jonathan Taylor, a game where the Colts were forced to run 39 times as a team, a, a game where, you know, they had multiple touchdowns inside the five yard line on the ground and the fact that those that production isn't going to Jordan Wilkins I'm sorry isn't going to Jonathan Taylor when we already have Marlon Mack out of the picture it's just surprising to see it's uh unexpected it's something we'll continue to uh, monitor uh i would not go to the well quite as hard for jonathan taylor you know this week if you're kind of pondering maybe you have some trades still out there you know his value is even lower than it was before i get it but uh you know jordan wilkins he really looked like he was going away before the buy you know as we saw with uh not so much Dobbins this week, but DeAndre Swift before. You know, sometimes we do see his rookie running backs get more involved after the bye. It was not the case in this one. And while, you know, I don't think Taylor's going to be reduced to, you know, the number three back or anything like that, I think he'll still be a usable RB2 more weeks than not. But certainly not a situation that we can feel great about uh, moving forward. On the Lions side of the ball, uh, Matthew Stafford. Look, I called this uh, Colts secondary. The reason why I picked uh, Kenny Galladay for my helicopter play was because I thought the Colts secondary was overrated. You know, they just hadn't really played anyone all that great. And, you know, the last two weeks we saw them before their bye. 
They were playing the Browns, who lit them up in the first half, uh, passing the ball, and then Joe Burrow. And the Bengals had a lot of success moving the ball as well. So, you know, that kind of came to fruition. Matthew Stafford threw for 336 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, he did have five sacks. Like, the Forrest Buckner is great, and getting Darius Leonard back helped as well. Uh, but just these cornerbacks, like Xavier Rhodes. Like, Xavier Rhodes was one of the worst cornerbacks in the entire league last year, and it wasn't a situation where he was being hung out to dry and a bad defense. I mean, Mike Zimmer is one of the best defensive minds in the game, and he could not figure out a way for opponents to stop picking on Rhodes other than just to bench the guy. So when he comes over to Indy and is all of a sudden popping off as, you know, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, you know, it's like, okay, is he really playing like one of the best cornerbacks in the league? Or perhaps, maybe, just maybe, they haven't played anyone all that much. And we kind of did see that. Marvin Hall, four catches, 113 yards, had a long of 73 on a bomb. Matt Stafford's arm talent is absolutely wild. And then Marvin Jones had three catches, 39 yards, and a pair of scores. So I mentioned before, Galladay left, you know, in the early third quarter with a hip injury. Didn't manage to catch a target before. Uh, you know, I hate being the guy. It's like, oh, the process was right. But I do think in this case, the process was right, people. I'll take the L. I get it. And L is an L is an L, just like a win is a win is a win. But, uh, you know, I do think we have seen in this game, moving forward, we do not need to fear this Colts secondary like they were a true juggernaut uh, at the position. Honestly, what it could be, too is that their run defense, particularly with Darius Leonard in action, might be so good that we're seeing them, you know, turn to a pass funnel and get opponent's production there because Adrian Peterson had five carries for seven yards. DeAndre Swift had six carries for just one yard. Uh, you know, they're still giving AP way too many first and 10 runs, but it is what it is. We did see Swift, you know, get a little more involved as a receiver, four targets, but... Either way, uh, Colts defense still not a secondary I'm going to be afraid of here moving forward. Uh, quickly on the snaps, we did see DeAndre Swift get a 62% snap rate, but mentioned the carries are close. I mean, he's going to lead the way in snaps and targets, but he's going to continue to be kind of on that RB2 borderline as opposed to the RB1 borderline uh, with AP just taking so much early down work and on Johnson uh, kicking in 18% snaps himself. Uh, on the Colts side, you had Jordan Wilkins, 51% snaps, 20 carries, one target. Jonathan Taylor, 33%, uh, 11 carries, two targets, nine high. 21 percent uh five carries five targets Hines is still going to be someone that's going to be really tough to warrant starting week to week with the amount of just non uh guaranteed touches you know Wilkins I would not expect this type of performance again uh but hey you know with this Colts offense really running so much through their running backs in both the run and the pass game, uh, I guess Wilkins and Hines are going to end up kind of being in that, you know, top 36, top 40 discussion, even if I don't think they're going to be producing Taylor, uh, out producing Taylor, I should say, uh, more weeks than not here moving forward. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat uh, carries inside the five yard line this season. So Jonathan Taylor has five. Naeem Hines, Trey Burton, and Jordan Wilkins have also combined for five. So the five carries for Taylor are tied for 17th among all backs. It's not great. I mean, this was not a situation where we were expecting him to be splitting uh, these sort of fantasy friendlies uh, so closely. And, you know, I've talked on this podcast a lot about how vultures are generally overrated in fantasy football. And usually it's the guy that is on the field when they get inside the five yard line that gets the corresponding carries. But, you know, when they're actively, they have an active wildcat package to get Trey Burton under center when they're inside the five-yard line. And then when they're not afraid to give the ball to Wilkins uh, when they're down there too, it's just problematic. So far from ideal disappointing uh you know jonathan taylor fancy managers out there i know it's tough you're not gonna take him out of the starting lineup but uh you know it does seem like maybe these top five top six days we were hoping for uh aren't going to be there mostly because uh the massive workload that we would need to get that sort of production uh isn't going to be there 
Quick shout out to our sponsors here, all first time depositors on Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks into their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks with promo code PFF today to receive your pre- free PFF Edge annual subscription. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. Five more quick matchups to roll through here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, next up, Vikings beat the Packers 28 to 22. So, did not see much uh, in the aerial kind of realm from the Vikings just because they didn't have to. This is one of those games like we saw a lot from last season where Kirk Cousins just really never had to put his foot down on the gas. Only had 14 attempts, 11 completions, 160 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, no one had more than five targets in this game. So, the uh, Packers decided to put Jair Alexander on Justin Jefferson. I guess he was tired of getting burned by Adam Thielen over the years. Calm down, Packers fans. Jair Alexander's awesome, but, you know, he hasn't gotten burnt by Thielen a good amount in the past. But anyway, uh, Jefferson did draw a DPI in the end zone, but otherwise, you know, he only had three catches, 26 yards. Thielen only had three catches, 27 yards. It's still condensed around these guys. I mean, they're going to be fine and going to be you know, borderline wide receiver ones more weeks than not because in usual weeks when Cousins has you know low pass game volume it's 20 25 uh, pass attempts this one was just super low at 14 which you know we didn't really see coming but you know when Dalvin Cook is going to just emerge as the best player you know on either sideline just kind of hog all the production to himself that's the type of stuff that happens so don't worry about Thielen and Jefferson they will have better days here moving forward I'm going to continue to treat them as you know Jefferson has a top 20 guy next week and Thielen uh, rock solid in the top 10 wide receivers uh, with the Packers yeah Rodgers 291 yards, three touchdowns. Just wasn't kind of the world beater game we, we've, we've seen from other than Devontae Adams. I mean, we just haven't seen a ton of consistent uh, fantasy production from any of these guys. Robert Tunyon, uh, five catches, 79 yards on seven targets. I mean, he stepped up a little bit, but still waiting to get Alan Lazard back and, you know, every, everywhere else. No one's just, you know, making the big plays they need to. I mean, Rodgers gave Equinemia St. Brown uh, consecutive chances that hit the guy in the hands. It was They were tough catches. They were contested, and, you know, there were defenders there. But still, you know, you're an NFL receiver, and that ball hits you in the hands. You would like to see uh, something happen with it. So missed opportunities, and, you know, Rodgers had them in a position at the end to throw the ball up he just got hit as he was doing so hardly a game you know where the Packers were completely out of it the entire time but uh, you know situation where hey their run defense obviously uh, didn't you know help them down the stretch last year you could even say it's the you know single biggest reason why they got massacred by the 49ers in the NFC championship but uh, you know seeing Dalvin Cook splice through them like that makes you wonder if they kind of got that fixed so not the best game uh, for anyone other than Devontae Adams on the Packers. Seven catches, 53 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, only had a long of 15. It's just like this Jedi mind mode they got going on between Rodgers and Devontae right now. He's going to remain the overall fantasy wide receiver one for the rest of the season. Uh, looking at these backfields, Jamal Williams continues to play the role that we always wanted for Aaron Jones. 88% snaps, 16 carries, six targets. A.J. Dillon uh, had just five carries, again, 11% snaps. He did have a reception for 16 yards. I mean, he doesn't look awful out there. They just don't want to give him the ball because they got Jamal Williams. Why would you Why would you give A.J. Dillon the ball when you got generational talent, you know, Jamal Williams there? Who cares if you drafted Dillon in the second round? I mean, you know, just you got Jamal Williams there. Why not? I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter, anyone. Uh, Dalvin Cook played 88% snaps, 30 carries, three targets. Again, just can't overstate how great uh, this dude was throughout the game. Also had a 50-yard touchdown catch that, you know, other than that one Kamara had against the Packers, uh, coincidentally against the Packers as well. Uh, the one Kamara had where he broke, you know, five or six tackles, it seemed like throughout. I thought this was like, you know, one of the best just examples of open field running we've seen throughout the entire season. I mean, when Davin Cook starts kind of going 
horizontal. It's like he's running, but just he's going east and west, but he's almost running full speed while he's doing it. Absolutely wild. One of the most fun guys in the league to watch with the ball in their hands. And that leads me to the PFF Lily matchup stat. So 37 running backs have had at least 50 carries this season. Here are Dalvin Cook's ranks in different stats. He is second with 3.6 yards after contact per attempt. He is fourth with 5.3 yards per carry, fourth in forced missed tackles per rush, and fourth in overall PFF rushing grades. So, you know, truly, it, it's yeah, sometimes we throw out these guys being top five of their position or, you know, top six, and we don't really kind of go through every single team and ends up being a little bit egregious. But truly, Dalvin Cook is a top five uh, running back in the league with the ball in his hands. Uh, next matchup here, Broncos beat the Chargers 31-30 to in a thrilling Drew Locke-inspired uh, comeback. So this is a situation where Justin Herbert, I mean, was just lighting them up early. 278 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, these guys had a 24-3 lead at one point. And, you know, touchdown to Mike Williams on a beautiful one-handed catch. Uh, Keenan Allen had a score as well. And then finally, uh, something that Gabe Neighbors also had a catch but uh you know just another performance from herbert that you know just kind of shows the overall upside he has a fancy uh, up, uh, overall upside he has a fancy option he has had at least 300 passing yards and or three touch- touchdowns through the air in every single game this season so it was good to see you know keenan allen get the 11 targets mike williams also get the eight they've kind of been you know functioning independent of each other and kind of swapping off big games so we would expect those guys uh to you know kind of be the top two receivers more weeks than not they are you know at the end of the season that's what we're going to end up with but you know seeing jalen guyton pop off some weeks he only had one catch for three yards in this one maybe had a better ball a chance for a touchdown out there but Hunter Henry continues to kind of be a distant third or fourth afterthought I mean I think we're seeing Keenan and Mike Williams emerge as the top two guys in this offense obviously Keenan is going to remain you know a locked in fancy wide receiver one but don't sleep on the chance for Mike Williams to kind of rise up here and actually flirt with a flirt with a you know wide receiver two upside here more times than not um, uh, moving forward because you know I really do think he is more one of the more overqualified uh, wide receiver twos in the league and I think uh, you know if he is going to have someone like Herbert dealing this way feeding him anywhere from eight to ten targets per week uh, that's a role we can get behind because he is one of the more talented guys uh, I mean he leads the league since 2017 in yards per reception I mean just big plays come when you throw the ball to Mike. Williams. Uh, with the Broncos, though, yeah, Drew Locke, I mean, look, three touchdowns. He led 80 yards, 75 yards, and 81-yard touchdown drives in the fourth quarter to go ahead and get the win. Uh, you know, benefited from a nice little 55-yard burst from Philip Lindsay to kind of get them on the scoreboard in the third quarter and kick things off. But, hey, you know, either way with Drew Locke, he's fearless. He's going to make some bad decisions. But dude has a freaking cannon for an arm. He threw a pick. He took two sacks and only averaged six yards per attempt. But, hey, you know, was able to come back in a game that Chargers really had no business losing. Uh, And, you know, in his – and Drew Locke's defense is hardly luck. He's being surrounded by, you know, high-end pass catchers at this point. I think Jerry Judy's great. Noah Fan looks like, oh, you know, one of the better tight ends. But other than that, you know, we got college teammate Albert O, you know, Melvin Gordon, KJ Hamler, who is very fast and promising. But and then Deshaun Hamilton, Hamilton, who Drew Locke made look good today with four catches, 82 yards in the score. But generally, I think we've seen that Hamilton probably isn't going to be get, bringing that much to the table uh, more weeks than not. So, Exciting to think about what Locke could do in the future, you know, with, with a healthy Cortland Sutton and with, you know, Judy and Hamler and these guys in their second year. You know, in 2020 still, I just wouldn't be expecting too much consistent fantasy uh, relevance from Drew Locke. This is now his second start after having, I think he's at eight now in his career. This is only really the second fantasy usable one. We're not seeing much of a rushing floor after it looked like he might have that in 2019. So not a usable fantasy quarterback, but, you know, on a Broncos team, that's now three and four. And I think we'd all kind of be a little shocked if they're able to 
to double that win total the rest of the way out. At least Drew Locke, you know, is providing entertainment uh, more weeks than not. Taking a look at these backfields, um, Melvin Gordon led the way in snaps, 56%, eight carries, six targets. Philip Lindsay, 44%, six carries, one target. Yeah, look, it's 50-50, and the way that Lindsay, you know, is able to be just a much better overall rusher and player with the ball in his hands in this one, you'd expect him to kind of close that gap even more here moving forward. So, you know, Gordon and Lindsay in an offense that I, I don't think is going to be putting up 30 points, uh, you know, week in and week out. I think it's going to be hard to kind of fit either of those guys inside the weekly top 25 options with this sort of split work and an offense that, again, uh, just isn't really anyone's idea of a high-scoring unit. Uh, Justin Jackson played 46% snaps, 17 carries, 5 targets. Troy Main Pope came in, provided the spark, 10 carries, 7 targets on 30% of the offensive snaps. And Joshua Kelly uh, worked as the third back, 24% snaps, 7 carries, and 1 target. So, look, I mean, Kelly, it was a situation where Justin Jackson's been out playing him. I know Kelly actually uh, kind of worked ahead of him last week, but it's it's a fluid situation here without Austin Eckler, and it sure looks like Justin Jackson's going to be the lead guy moving forward. He was the best back in this one, 89 rushing yards, another 53 receiving yards. So, you know, Troyman Pope was out there doing his thing, too. He got his bell rung on a big-time hit from uh, – Kareem Jackson, I believe, uh, later in the game. But I think it's a situation where, you know, behind Justin Jackson, we don't know. And, you know, while Austin Eckler is remaining sidelined, I think uh, Pope and Kelly are probably guys that, you know, we just shouldn't really expect much from on a weekly basis. Kudos to Pope for, I mean, getting this heavy of usage. You know, I will be interested to see if there's, you know, a reason why Kelly uh, was phased out. Maybe I'm missing an injury or maybe it was a coaching decision uh, with that. But either way, I do think Justin Jackson is someone we can treat, you know, probably in that RB18 to RB24 range while Austin Eckler's out, but other than that, I uh, wouldn't count on this offense enabling more than one fancy relevant back. PFF Lily matchup stat here. So Justin Herbert has four games with three-plus passing touchdowns already as a rookie. That ties Peyton Manning, Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, Dak Prescott, and Deshaun Watson for the most by a rookie QB over the past 50 years. So Herbert, I mean, even if he just gets one more game this year with three or more passing touchdowns, he's going to break that record. And truly, if this guy keeps on balling the way he's been, uh, he is going to shatter that mark. Awesome stuff from Justin Herbert. And, you know, the fact that they're playing without, I believe, three offensive line starters this whole way, I mean, you see it out there he's under constant pressure uh, he's able to make the most of it though and it's been fun to watch even in losses uh, like today the Saints were able to take down the Bears 26 to 23 in overtime. You know, not 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 the most thrilling overtime game we've ever seen. There was just kind of a lot of uh, kind of missed passes, I think, on both sides uh, throughout. But you know, with that said, there were also some big ones. So Drew Brees, uh, 280 yards, two touchdowns. You know, we saw that you know kind of just inability to throw downfield, kind of rearing its ugly head more than ever uh, in that windy at windy Soldier Field. But to Brees' credit, you know, right after he missed uh, Jared Cook on a potentially better, better ball touchdown. Went right back to him. I'm not sure why, you know, the Bears weren't guarding him, but that's a that's story for another day. And then also was able to hit Taysom Hill for a touchdown. So, uh, yeah, we just haven't seen the same, you know, top five fantasy upside for Drew Brees. But, you know, not having his number one wide receiver certainly hasn't helped. So it did seem like Michael Thomas, you know, after returning to practice, was a little bit closer to getting back. So I think, uh, you know, once Michael Thomas is back, don't be afraid in the DFS streets to really go to the well uh, with a Saints stack because, you know, Breeze, while, okay, he's, you know, again, the deep ball, it's looking worse than ever. I understand that. But, you know, again, this isn't exactly something that the Saints offense has lived on in the past. And when you take away one of the game's just top receivers at operating in the underneath and intermediate areas of the field, uh, you take him away from the picture, obviously it's going to hurt the quarterback's ability. So in this one, I mean, Alvin Kamara had 13 targets. He caught nine of them for 96 yards. Uh, We had Jared Cook with seven targets. Traquan Smith with seven targets. And nobody else had over three, so... 
If Manny Sanders and Michael Thomas remain sidelined, you know, and and freaking Callaway, okay, we can fire up Traquan Smith. But otherwise, in this offense, it's Michael Thomas, it's Alvin Kamara, and it's Jared Cook. You know, kind of being a borderline uh, tight end one with on and off weeks. So. Good stuff there on the Chicago side of things. Uh, Nick Foles, he had some big throws. I mean, two touchdowns. He got a short one to Mooney. He got a deeper one to Allen Robinson. That little bit overthrown, but A-Rob's, you know, a freaking god out there, so he was able to track it down. Also hit Mooney for a 50-yard uh, reception. They've been missing on some of those deep balls uh, this year, so it was good to finally see Foles uh, put one on him. But took five sacks. Uh, just, you know, he also had an interception that wasn't exactly, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was his fault, let's put it that way. Um, and 272 yards, so wasn't the biggest game from Foles, but he did uh, make some solid plays. I mean, this was a situation where in the past few weeks, you know, we just haven't seen anything uh, from Foles by, by way of, you know, just consistent drives moving down the field. I mean, they couldn't even score an offensive touchdown uh, against the Rams when we saw him last. So just the fact that they were able to move the ball a little bit and see Allen Robinson, you know, six catch six, seven targets for 87 yards in the score. Anthony Miller had eight catches for 73 yards. Mooney had five catches for six and nine yards in the score. The wide receivers and Foles are really on the same page. We saw problems when, you know, it was David Montgomery and Jimmy Graham. I mean, they soaked up 12 targets on their own. That only accounted for 29 total yards. So when Foles was kind of letting it rip the wide receivers, good things were happening more times than not. Uh, just was more of an issue of, I think, kind of the, maybe the game plan deciding who was going to get those balls. I mean, you know, wasting 21 carries on David Montgomery. He got 89 yards, uh, you know, wasn't able to find the end zone. And, uh, you know, to, in his defense, he did finally get a nice little burst, 38 yards up the middle, had his uh, hand in the three-point stance, uh, pretty hilarious, but uh, he did have a couple runs where, you know, he's breaking tackles, just right at the line of scrimmage, and you know, really impressive, you know, five to ten yard runs that a lot of guys probably would have gotten stuffed in the backfield, but, you know, again, this is only a second run of more than 15 yards of the season. Uh, just bursts is few and far between, and we could live with it more if, at least in this offense, there's a lot of volume coming like near the goal line, but because the Bears don't score all that often, even though Montgomery's getting enough receiving volume to kind of make the most and beat his volume-induced RB2, uh, there's not enough scoring upside for him to kind of be in that RB1 category. So I'm fine continuing to kind of treat him on that, you know, RB15 to RB16 mark more weeks than not. I mean, again, he just had 23 touches in this game. It's hard to find that just about anywhere. But just realize, you know, with his usage, a lot of running backs would be uh, threatening to put up top five production. Not going to see that in Montgomery's range of outcomes. But when the schedule does lighten up and we can start maybe finding the end zone, uh, uh, once a week, we can maybe talk about uh, getting them in that top 12 range. Uh, quickly sticking with these running backs. So Montgomery, again, you know, almost every single down, 86% snaps, 21 carries in the five targets. My guy Cordero Patterson was a di distant second thought. Alvin Kamara, 78% snaps, 12 carries and 11 targets. Latavius Murray, just 25%. So, you know, Kamara, you know, he's number one uh, PPR half point maybe even standard running back here moving forward and Dave Montgomery like I was saying top 15 top 16 guys more weeks than not in a good matchup maybe we can talk about RB1 territory uh, PFF Lily matchup stats so Alvin Kamara this year is on pace for 126 receptions Christian McCaffrey set the position record in 2019 with 116 also set in 2018 with 107 the only other running backs in NFL history to get over 100 receptions in a year are Matt Forte Larry Centers and LaDainian Tomlinson so you know, not only is Kamara on pace to just put up absolutely ridiculous record-breaking numbers, but he's joining a nice little club of running backs that have already gotten there in the past. 
Two more matchups, but first a quick shout out to uh, you know our friends PFF and Sunday Night Footballs. Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversations in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. So mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. All right, everyone, two more here. Seahawks beat the 49ers 37-27. to I mean, look, it's just Russell Wilson is so good week in and week out, and it's almost like we're taking it for granted at this point. I mean, I remember, folks, I remember days when we could not get Russell Wilson more than like 20 or 25 pass attempts. And, yeah, those days were literally last year, but it truly is, uh, you know, almost growing numb to just the consistent excellence of the Seahawks passing game. This week it was DK Metcalf season, 15 targets, 12 catches, 161 yards, two touchdowns, you know, we saw the locket blow up last week, and this time no one had more than five targets on the Seahawks. A locket did get a deep ball late that Russ wasn't quite able to put on him. Uh, could have been a touchdown with a perfect pass, but I'm sure Lockett will have you know plenty of big, plenty more big games ahead. Continue to treat him, both him and Metcalf, as weekly upside wide receiver ones, pretty much regardless of the matchup. With the 49ers, we saw Jimmy G really struggle uh, in the first three quarters. 11 for 16, 84 yards uh, and an interception. You take away his yak god, Debo Samuel. You know, we have a less effective running game without Raheem Moster, and we've seen Jimmy G just not quite able to operate outside that system. Dealing with an ankle, ankle injury, and that is why you end up getting pulled uh, for Nick Mullins. So, look, I don't think it's a QB competition. Anytime Kyle Shanahan's been pressed about that at all, he's quickly shut it down. Uh, similar reasoning, I think, that's why they pulled him in the Miami game, where once they got down the third quarter and Shanahan realized they were going to have to pass. He just didn't think Jimmy was healthy enough to get that done. So Mullins came in 238 yards, two touchdowns. He can put up numbers. I know he had the train wreck uh, performance game where maybe we all realized we were a little bit too hyped about him, but uh, he can, you know, feed these guys. Brandon Ayuk had eight catches from 91 yards in the score. Kendrick Bourne, eight catches, 81 yards. I mean, if it does end up being a situation where Jimmy G misses time, I really don't think it downgrades uh, the receiving options in this offense all that much. Uh, George Kittle, two catches, 39 yards on four targets. Left early again with that football, with that foot and ankle injury. Doesn't seem like it's going to be a long-term issue, but obviously something to keep an eye on for one of the best tight ends in the game. Uh, with these snaps, DJ Dallas. So with uh, Chris Carson out and Carlos Hyde out, Travis Homer was there, but more or less for emergency purposes only. He played 10% snaps. DJ Dallas played 79% snaps, 18 carries and five targets. I mean, look, he didn't do much with them. 41 rushing yards in the score and also uh, 17 uh, receiving yards and five uh, receptions for a score. So, I mean, Hart never had a play go for more than 10 yards. So, again, it was hardly the most explosive version of himself. But volume rules all in fantasy football, as we like to say here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And because of that, uh, DJ, you know, made his fantasy managers very proud. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound like Carson and Hyde are too far off, so I wouldn't expect this to persist for Dallas. But, hey, we know in these situations now that they are not afraid to give him uh, this true three-down roll when the situation calls for it. On the 49ers side, Tevin Coleman suffered a knee injury after, you know, really getting a lot of the early work. And after that, we saw Jared McKinnon get 50% snaps, three carries, four targets. Jermichael Hasty, 41%, 12 carries, one target. So they just don't trust Hasty on passing downs. But, you know, if 
Coleman and Wilson and Mostert are all how the picture. He will be there, uh, you know, early down running back. And look, he's a good player. Just don't freak out. I mean, it's now we've now needed to have three running backs get injured on the same freaking team just to see him, uh, you know, kind of rise up and get the chance to be a lead early down back. And even then, you know, we had Jarek McKinnon being the guy to kind of take away one of the touchdowns at the goal line. Hasty got one himself, but it's not like, you know, Hasty is dominating this backfield by any stretch of the imagination. So, hey, if all three of these guys remain out, we're going to be able to treat Hasty as, you know, a potential top 24 option as Shani's leading, you know, early down back. But it's not exactly this league winner top 10 guy uh, we're talking about. So just keep the expectations in check, everybody. PFF Lily matchup stat here. So Seahawks have a league best 66% catchable deep ball rate. So that's, you know, not just receptions, it's just catchable. PFF has some of these advanced stats. So 66% catchable deep ball rate. Titans are number two at 65%. So Seahawks one, Titans two, and there's only two teams under 30%. The Bengals at 27% and the Washington football team at 26%. Good stuff there and a good reminder that nothing is more catchable than that Russell Wilson. Wilson moonshot deep ball. Last matchup, everyone. Thank you for sticking along here with me. We had the Eagles defeat the Cowboys 23-9 in a snoozer of a Sunday night game. So credit to the Cowboys for trying to, you know, just... There's a good, uh, good saying. I, I, I've heard Mike Lombardi say it a lot, you know, on, on, on his podcast over the years. You know, one of the best minds in the NFL game where, you know, a swordsman, the best swordsman in the world doesn't fear the second best swordsman. The best swordsman in the world fears the unorthodox swordsman. It seemed like the Cowboys kind of came out with that idea early on. They were doing a bunch of reverses. They weren't asking Ben DiNucci to just sit back behind this banged up offensive line and try to be Dak Prescott. I mean, that was a big problem when they went from Dak to Andy Dalton. It's like they just really didn't try to change the offense at all and because of that we saw the guy get freaking killed because Dak is a wizard and Andy Dalton most certainly is not uh, but with Nucci back there they were at least trying to do some different stuff they gave Zeke some wildcat snaps uh, they gave Cedric Wilson a couple wildcat snaps and he apparently played high school quarterback so situation that kind of enabled them to get a halftime 9-7 lead. Defense was playing inspired. Randy Gregory, uh, you know, fresh off suspension. He was out there doing some good things, but ultimately it just wasn't enough. We saw Danucci take four sacks. He had, you know, multiple just back-breaking fumbles, two of them to be specific. And, you know, for Zeke, you know, played better than he had in past weeks. Was still only 19 carries, 63 yards. Tony Pollard continued to pro- likely. I mean, just overall look as the better guy with the ball in his hand. Seven carries, 40 yards. I mean, I understand that Zeke more weeks than not, it's going to be the superior blocker and make the better reads and all that stuff. But really is tough to, you know, look at Pollard versus Zeke in terms of, you know, who's been able to break more tackles and get more yards after contact and just overall be a more efficient rusher over the past two years because all those things are in uh, Pollard's favor. So, you know, 19 carries for Zeke, only one catch for 10 yards, no scores. That is, you know, the big problem here because with Zeke, even before he didn't have the receiving usage in past years, but he was always getting, you know, a bunch of scores in this high-scoring Cowboys offense. So you take away that aspect particularly ahead of next week's uh, matchup against the Steelers. I mean, that's going to be a freaking slaughter fest or whoever's under center in that one. But, you know, Zeke, he's going to stay in that RB1 range because we just don't have that many guys getting uh, 20-plus touches. But, you know, he's getting closer and closer to 12 than I think we ever uh, imagined possible. Uh, Michael Gallup, seven catches, 61 yards. Amari Cooper, only one catch for five yards. CeeDee Lamb, four catches, 27 yards. And this was the first game uh, really since the Giants won where Cooper was a race like this. And it just really didn't even seem like the Cowboys have much of a priority to get him the ball so maybe this was Danucci being under center and just not having Dalton so you know going back to Dalton next week I'm not going to freak out over this one week sample I still think Cooper is the guy they want to get involved more weeks than not but Gallup you know 
not someone you're going to want to even really worry about too much. I, don't, I think we've seen more than enough evidence at this point that he's not going to be getting uh, all that consistent of usage, even if he did this week with Danucci. So it sounds like Dalton you know, should have a chance to be ready to go uh, for the Steelers matchup. Obviously, you're not going to really want to start anyone uh, in that spot. You know, Amari Cooper, he's going to be you know close to that wide receiver 24 spot uh, than we thought possible. And it's just a situation where even with Zach Martin back this week, uh, we can see you know just how quickly a bad offensive line can seek, sink an entire offense. And that is the story of your 2020 Cowboys uh, with the Eagles Carson Wentz 123 yards 15 and 27 two touchdowns two picks also lost uh, two fumbles yeah uh, this was an awful game from Carson Wentz he took four sacks I mean he's been playing a lot better ball over the past three or four weeks and it just sucks that Really, he started off the season bad. His weapons got hurt. He started playing better. And then he gets back Dallas Goddard and Jalen Rager. And it's like he just keeps trying to do all this craziness again and make uh, you know something out of nothing instead of playing more within the confines of the system. So, uh, you know, still made some good plays. Nice touchdowns to Fulgham. And he got one to Rager as well. But, you know, just uh, getting picked off by Trayvon Diggs twice. Uh, just kind of ill-advised decisions one after another. Just wasn't a good game from Wentz. I don't think Jalen Hurts is coming in anytime soon. In fact, you know, the manner with which they use Hurts uh, really makes me confident in that because it's not like he's coming in and running the normal offense. He's coming in, you know, in a strict kind of wildcat package. So I don't think there's any chance of Wentz being benched anytime soon, but I uh, just realized this was not one of his better games and he was facing a defense that we've seen pretty much uh, everyone shred to this point. So I think more than anything, uh, this is a good reminder that, you know, the NFC East is truly one of, the, is not one of the, it is the most atrocious division in the National Football League. And it's tough to say too many nice things about either camp and it uh, credit to Boston Scott, 15 carries, 70 yards, two catches, nine yards. You know, having that same high-level usage that we wanted. Again, with the lack of scoring from kind of both teams in general, we just didn't get as, as many uh, touchdown opportunities and as much touchdown equity as we hoped for. But, uh, you know, with Miles Sanders out, we are going to be looking at Boston Scott, continuing to look at Boston Scott as a volume-based RB2. That's going to do it, everyone. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We have episodes out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every week, it is my personal goal in life to keep you as informed as possible on the great game of football as we know and love it. So I'm Ian Harditz. You can find me on Twitter at iHarditz, I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. I always send out these podcast episodes along with plenty of articles throughout the week. So thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.